is a term that we use to describe those strange ADHD thoughts that you start to take over your concentration when you should be paying attention to something that's really important. Hi everyone and welcome to Feeding the Monkey Volume 7. Uh, I am your host and wanderer, Judy Chesley. Um, as a recap from last week, we had discussed superpowers, and what if your superpower was that you never got tired, um, phys- mentally tired, your brain never needed a, excuse me, I'm sorry, your body never got physically tired, um, it never needed rest, what would happen to your brain? Um, extreme insomnia, insomnia where you just can't sleep, you just can't cut a break. Uh, and on the same line, familial fatal insomnia. I actually saw an article about that the other day, interestingly enough. Um, and the uh, origin of the high five. Where did the high five come from? Who first thought of it? Um, turned out to be much older than a lot of people probably realized, coming from the 1930s or coming from a gesture that originally came from the 1930s. Um, so that was that, and I apologize for all the ums. This week, Mark on my Facebook page, Feeding the Monkey on Facebook, Mark wants to know what is the deal with mattress sizing? Uh, what is a, is a, who invented the single size, and is a twin actually a double of a single, and does that mean that a, that a queen is the triple of a single, and so forth? Uh, these are interesting. Um, these are interesting questions that I think we've all had at one point or another. I hope that there is not an occasional loud dinging um, on my computer, which is connected to iMessage, and unfortunately, uh, someone has decided to send me a a. a instant message rant, so I'm getting a ding over here approximately every five seconds. If that's happening while I'm speaking on this recording, I do apologize. I'll figure out some way to turn off iMessage at some point, but I haven't gotten that far technically advanced yet. Anyway, mattress sizing. What is the deal with the mattress sizing? Um, I think the best place to start here is to start with the history of mattresses in general and sleeping on beds in general. When did that first start to happen? Um, people actually started sleeping on beds during the Neolithic period, the Neolithic period being um, 3000 BC earlier. So, um, and what they slept on, of course, was just like some uh, pine branches, maybe, or some boughs. Um, in a corner, up off of the con- of the uh, stone floor of the cave, a little bit. Um, by 3400 BC, Egyptian pharaohs started sleeping on raised beds. Um, this was their um, 
this was mostly done by uh, the rich. The Romans slept on mattresses stuffed with reeds, hay, wool, or even feathers. Hey, like like a feather bed. Um, they they also invented a type of water mattress. Well, not really a water bed. Uh, they would be rocked in a in a cradle of warm water and then lifted gently and carried to a to a raised bed to, and then you know coaxed to sleep. I'm certain it was all highly relaxing. Not anyway. Renaissance by the Renaissance era, our mattresses were now uh, stuffed into a fabric called tick, um, pishucks straw, possibly feathers again. Uh, this fabric was very uh, hardy. It was very sturdy, not expensive. Um, then these mattresses were covered with velvet or, or silk. The problem with this is that pishucks, straw, and feathers um, attract bugs because bugs want to eat pishucks and straw. And of course, feathers, if they have not been thoroughly cleaned, come from, well, regardless of their cleansing, they come from birds. Birds being not the cleanest animals in the animal kingdom. So if they weren't, if they weren't thoroughly cleansed before being stuffed in, uh, you may not attract bugs. It may just, bugs just may have come with your, with your interior. By 1865, uh, a fellow named Gain thought of a of a different type of mattress uh, coil. He'd made a coil spring, and then uh, eventually what they did was they took the coil spring and they created a machine that would socket it into an individual um, like cotton fabric thing container for the individual box uh, individual coil springs first started happening. Uh, Simmons was uh, the the founder of this, the Simmons Mattress Company, which uh, Mr. Gain worked for. The first coil springs were used in these mattresses. Uh, also, these were cotton mattresses. It didn't attract bugs as much as the previous versions. So your lining and in the interior of your mattress would would attract fewer bugs. Of course, the top, if you weren't clean and you didn't clean your sheets and you and you lived in, in, in a horrible, unclean environment, etc., um, they didn't that, that didn't protect against that, but it protected against the interior being infested so much. Speaking of the Simmons Mattress Company, they introduced the names king and queen sized mattresses in 1958. So, what is the relationship that each of these has, each of these sizes has to the next? I'm not sure, but here we are. Crib and toddler mattresses, 27 and a quarter inches wide by 51 and 5 eighths inches long. So, a little over two and a half feet wide and uh, in the realm of four feet long, a little longer than four feet. That's the crib and toddler size bed. The single or twin bed is 39 inches wide by 75 inches long. Then we have the twin extra large bed mattress size. Uh, the single and the twin are actually 
the same. So a twin is not twice the size of a single. A twin is a single. It's just called a twin sometimes and a single other times, I guess, depending on your mood that night. I don't know. Anyway, it's 39 inches wide by 75 inches long, so it's a little over 6 feet long. And uh, what are we looking at here? A little over 3 feet wide. So a little over 3 feet wide and a little over 6 inches long. The Twin XL is, again, 39 inches wide by 80 inches long. So it's the same width, but it is 5 inches longer. The double, okay, so we've got 27 and a quarter moving up to 39 inches. There's no real, yeah, there's there's no real relationship between these sizes as far as I can tell. So anyway, the double, which is different from a twin, so twin and single are the same. Double is different from a twin. Double is also called a full. Again, I guess that depends on how you felt when you came in. Just kidding. It's probably manufacturer-specific. Uh, so the double bed, 54 inches wide by 75 inches long. So we are looking at about, again, a little over 6 feet long. 54 inches wide is closer to 4 feet across. Um, is that right? Did I just tell fit? No, that's right. Um, the queen bed, the queen bed is 60 inches wide by 80 inches long. So it's six inches wider, but it's five inches longer than the double bed. Um, by the way, the double bed is 15 inches wider than the single bed. So the queen is six inches wider and five inches longer than the double bed. These are a lot of numbers. The king, the standard king, or eastern king bed mattress size. Uh, there were air quotes there. Eastern king bed. I don't know what a western king is. There is no name like that. Anyway, 76 inches wide, so a little over six, inch, six feet wide by 80 inches long. So it is uh, 16 inches wider than the queen bed, the same length as the queen bed. The California king, maybe that's what the western one is, but it's not called a western. It's just called a California king. It's 72 inches wide by 84 inches long. That makes it a foot wider and four inches longer than a queen bed but it's four inches less wide than a king bed. However, it's four inches longer than a king bed. So if you were looking for a mattress that was a king bed, but not really, and you're just really tall, I guess you would get a California king bed. So I don't. none of that made any sense to me whatsoever. And anyway, the answer to the question uh, what is the deal with the mattress sizing? The answer is that while the sizes are standardized across the industry, they actually don't bear any relationship to each other that can be figured out with a simple mathematical formula. And I hope that helped on that. Yeah, I win.
there. She came in through the bathroom window. Let's talk about the indoor plumbing. Um, indoor plumbing comprises a whole lot more than just the bathroom, but um, being the monkey, I'm mostly fascinated with the toilets. So we're going to look at those. Uh, we were having our nice Sunday dinner. We have a family Sunday dinner uh, every week. And one of my little uh, spirit nephews, his name is Owen. He's nine. Owen wants to know who invented indoor plumbing. Okay, Owen. Depends on kind of what we're talking about. But we are going to go with toilets, as I said. Uh, the ancient Romans, or Greeks, the Rome, the Romans took up a whole lot of Greek culture and Greek things and Greek gods and so forth when, uh, when during the early periods when they were back and forth conquering each other. So the ancient Romans um, or the Greeks are generally accepted as having the first indoor toilets. Only the richest people could afford an indoor toilet. More common were public baths which was just like it sounds. I'm sure you've seen it in a, in a billion history movies, a billion historical dramas, the great big pool, and everybody's all in the great big pool. Um, the other thing that was really common that you don't see so often in the movies is the public latrine, or the public toilet, which is literally a, a latrine, just like we think of today, just a trough, where you would uh, do, do your business. There was like a stone covering on top of the trough. The trough was built underneath the, the city, underneath the building, and there were individual holes where you could plop your behind down and do your business. Water flowed under the latrine and it carried away the sewage. So that's why it's indoor plumbing. It's why it counts as indoor plumbing. It wasn't out in the open. Um, there was no paper in Roman times there was papyrus which is like a scroll but there wasn't any paper so naturally there wasn't any toilet paper that doesn't mean that the Romans had no need for wiping however uh, what they used was um, uh, a sponge on a stick and when I think of a sponge on a stick I think of a lot like those things you can get for the shower now that have like a loofah only I would hope that the sponge was a lot softer than the loofah because otherwise it sounds extremely unpleasant. Uh, the sponges were not disposable. They, uh, they dipped them in the water that was carrying away the sewage. They, you just drip, dipped them in the water uh, to clean the remains of the previous user. And my only comment about any of that is, ew, yeah, that's ew. Not working for me. Um, the the poor used pots in their homes, um, and then they would set the pots out in the street. Not not to be confused with the with uh, the seventeen hundreds in uh, England and Europe, where people would dump them out of the windows. Instead, they would leave it in the pot and put the pot outside the door, where it was picked up by the equivalent of a uh, of a full service launderer, and. Uh, and then they use those contents to launder clothing. Ew. Only pee, if you're interested. Only, only pee was treated this way. It's, it is acidic. I, I suppose if you rinsed it well enough, it wouldn't. 
I can imagine no instance in which I want to wear clothing that has been laundered in pee. So I guess I'm glad I don't live in ancient Rome and uh, ew. However, in Scotland, earlier than the ancient Greeks and the ancient Romans, in Scotland, there are evidence of stone huts equipped with drains built into the village walls. Uh, this dated back to around 3000 BC. The oldest Neolithic village in the United Kingdom, Scarabray, had a primitive flushing system. It just consisted of t taking a pot of water. Um, you do your business and then you take the pot of water and you and you throw it down the hole and then that carries it out through the drain uh, that's built into the into the um, the walls. However, Scotland claims this. Uh, Shall we call it a milestone? Why Why not? Scotland claims this milestone, uh, 3000 BC, as I said. However, in India, there have been copper pipes found, and they date from 4000 to 5000 BC. So they are even older. Not really certain um, if there was a sewage function to them, but they're copper pipes, and they were made to carry water of some sort. Um, in 2500 BC, so now we're back to um, not as old as Scotland, so Scotland gets to go back up on the on the potty throne. Is that too bad of a pun? That's a pretty bad pun. Uh, in 2500 BC, Egyptian pyramids had indoor toilets. The pyramids were not living spaces. The pyramids were graves. So I'm not sure who needed the indoor toilet. I uh, guess maybe, you know, uh, Ramses is, is dead, but he's got a lot of food in there with him. He's got a lot of people in there with him, and they're all dead too. And, you know, maybe after they eat all the food, then they have like this ghostly waste that happens. I wonder if that would be the slime from the Ghostbusters, I think. Yeah, yeah, I think actually... If I was going to have to decide on what the uh, on, on what the 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 icor would be called that's coming in a in a pyramid, I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's like the slime. The first flushing toilet is credited to King Minos of Crete of Crete in the 18th century before Christ, so 1,800 years BC. Scotland, notwithstanding. Um, because their toilet didn't really flush, their toilet kind of flushed, you just kind of flushed the water through with the bucket of water, whereas the first flushing toilet is credited to King Minos of Crete. So here's some fun facts. Uh, to dispel a common myth, Thomas Crapper did not invent the toilet. That's a myth. Uh, he did invent the siphon and ball flusher, and he had a very successful plumbing company. So uh, I, I giveth and I taketh away on the, on the myths. You'll spend about three years of your life on the toilet. 90% of the medication you take is excreted into your toilet. Albert Einstein was an honorary member of the Plumbers and Steamfitters Union. So there you go. 1.6, uh, this is just uh, uh, some interesting facts on the other side. Um, a lot of people tend to think of of homes that don't have indoor plumbing as being in more undeveloped countries, more the, I guess, is it still kosher to call them PC? I mean, uh, uh, is it still, 
kosher to, to call them um, uh, third world. I'm not sure, but that's generally what's what it's thought of for not having indoor plumbing. However, 1.6 million Americans don't have complete indoor plumbing. Complete indoor plumbing consists of a bathtub, shower, toilet, and running water. So 1.6 Americans don't have complete indoor plumbing. And we're definitely not a third world country. Uh, this is most prevalent areas of South Dakota, Apache County in Arizona, Rio Grande in Texas, Appalachia in Kentucky and Virginia, and also rural Alaska. So those are the places that have the highest percentage of incomplete indoor plumbing. So now you know all the stuff that you needed to know and a whole bunch of stuff that you probably never even considered. I never would have thought that I spent three years of my life sitting on the toilet, but it would actually be, I wish that you could just get that all done all at once, and then that way you wouldn't ever have to worry about having to run for the bathroom. Uh, and on that note, next week, why is it illegal to sell watermelons in Rio Claro, Brazil? I'm not making this up. It's illegal to sell watermelons in Rio Claro, Brazil. We'll see if we can find the reason for that bizarre little law. And what are the benefits of fingernails over claws? So we know that um, uh, we have fingernails and primates, the, the, the great apes in general and primates in general have fingernails as opposed to uh, claws like many other mammals have. So what's the benefits of having fingernails over claws, or are there any? And thank you very much for listening. Before I see you next week, here's some upbeat outro music. Have a nice day. Mm -hmm.